Kia ora, whanau. Um, thanks for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, but before I get right into it, I just want to say a big thank you to Nelly because 11 years ago today, she decided to marry me. Um, and she still hasn't left yet, so that's pretty cool. Um, but I am definitely not the boy she married all that time ago, so you can blame her for what you see in front of you. Um, cool. Uh, so... When I was a newlywed, probably about 22, 23 years old, um, back in Auckland, um, was helping my youth pastor at the time with a young teens boys Bible study group thing. Um, <coughs> and there was one particular young guy, we'll call him Dave for the sake of the story, um, and he was just going through some rough stuff. And so he'd asked me to catch up, and we were talking, and I was trying to encourage and give all the wisdom that I had at that age. Um, and I have no doubt that it was an incredibly profound conversation that changed his life forever. Um, but honestly, I, I, I felt like a faker, to be honest, like a bit of a hypocrite, because I have been very lucky, or blessed, or however. Um, obviously, I've had my own struggles to deal with, but I haven't had like something traumatic that has taken years to sort of work through or, or struggle through. Um, things sure haven't gone right, but nothing that's been quite... Um, big or super challenging so trying to coming from that place trying to help this guy through stuff I just felt sort of like a fraud um, so I brought that home to my wife and <coughs> she unfortunately has had some stuff go go wrong in her childhood that she's had to work through as she's grown up and so she kind of stopped me in my little suki moment um, and she said no people like me herself and Dave need people like myself because it sort of provides hope and shows that there actually still is good in the world. So that was a nice little stroke of ego. She's pretty wise, is my wife. Um, so on that note, today I am talking about hope. Um, and more specifically, um, why is it important? Um, but before I do, I want to explain the flower, because there's a really cool story to it, which I wasn't going to share until Nelly told me it looks like it's just one of the templates you'd pick out of the PowerPoint slide. Um, so that doesn't do it justice. So any green thumbs in the room? Does anybody know what flower that is to start with? Negative. Nope. Oh, who was that? Yes. Nailed it. How good. Well done. 20 points. Um, yes, that's a crocus flower. I wouldn't have known that until I Googled it. Um, but there's a really cool story that comes with it, and it's not my story. Um, but I'm going to steal it because it's really cool. So Tim Mackey, um, he's a theologian. I know that Nick has referenced him before in, in services. Um, when he was at Bible College in Madison, Wisconsin, apparently the winters up there are horrific, just really long, really cold, very depressing. Um, and as spring comes and the snow defrosts, um, these crocus flowers pop up, sort of like our daffodils do. They're just in spring. You, you wouldn't know they're there all year round, and then in spring they just appear. So these crocus flowers do exactly that. Um, but then, without fail, sort of like winter's dying cry out, does another big snow dump almost every year, and it covers everything again, and it just looks like winter has come back and, and summer is never going to arrive. Um, but he said, the second winter <laughs> is not as depressing because you've seen the crocus flower, so you know winter has ended, you know summer is coming, and he, he ties it really beautifully into Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Um, and so we are living in that second snow dump. So it feels like we're in winter and poo happens and it's just not cool. 
but we've seen the crocus flower, and so we know summer is coming. So that would have probably all been missed if I just left it at the picture like I was going to, but my wife, again, her wisdom. Um, Mint, so that was free of charge. I'm going to start with my message now, um, but I'll pray first, please. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Um, thank you for these awesome people who love you. Um, I pray, Lord, like Nick said, that you would just open us up, soften our hearts, um, to hear what you have to say, Lord, and above all, please don't let my words get in the way. Amen. So, um, in the Bible, there are three different words that often get translated as hope um, in our English. Uh, my favorite one is a Hebrew word, and it's kava. Um, literally, it just means wait, um, like anticipation or expectation. Um, so, a use. Okay, let's go. Nah, nah. Which one is it? That one. Nailed it. So, uh, one of the words when kava is the word wait is, is here, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So those who cover on the Lord. Um, but unlike English, which I have issues with, um, because I can love pizza and I can love my wife, and it's the same word, um, and hopefully very different meanings. Um, <laughs> but Hebrew, a lot like most languages, is actually really like packed with imagery. Um, and so cover is one of these words. Um, kav, the root, literally means cord when you put it to boring English, but it really, and I stole this from Tim Mackey as well, but it's more like if you're pulling on the cords. So carve is that tension if you've got bungee cords and you've got them under strain, that's carve. And then cover is the release of that. So as you're waiting with anticipation or in that suspense, cover, the waiting or the hope is in the release of this, the tension. Um, yeah, so I just thought that was way cooler than hope. Um, but excuse the pun, cover really struck a chord with me when I read Viktor Frankl's story. Has anybody heard of Viktor Frankl? Yeah, I knew you would. That's cheating. Um, so he's, a, he's an Austrian um, psychologist, and he and his brand-new wife and brother and sister and his parents were taken to Auschwitz, um, and that was the last day he saw any of them, I think, except his sister. <clears throat> and so he spent several years, I'm not sure how long exactly, um, going through, I think, three or four different concentration camps. Um, and he was still doing counselling sessions for his comrades or brothers, whatevs, um, throughout. And he was in a weird situation where, because he was a psychologist, he was able to sort of compartmentalise and watch how people dealt with the stuff they were going through. Um, and literally on every front, anything you could die from, they were living on the brink of that. So they were practically starved to death. They were hypothermic and frostbite and uh, sleeping in their own feces and being beaten and then psychologically beaten and just everything was horrific. Um, and he said when it came to hope, there were three types of people. Um, those who had no hope at all, um, and their bodies would just shut down because what they were actually going through was not compatible with life and they would just stop. And he said you could watch as soon as someone had given up hope, he says 48 hours later they would be gone and you would just watch them and nothing could get them out of bed. It was just the switch had been flipped. Um, but then he said there were people who had hope 
but it wasn't necessarily in the right thing. Um, so some might have hoped for the end of winter, um, and he said as soon as the weather started to warm up, they would just pass away. Um, um, or others who hoped for Liberation Day so they could finally go home once the war finished. And a few people did survive until that day. Then they would go home to find that there, there was no home, there was no family, there was no job, they had nothing. And they would either shut down or unfortunately take their lives. Um, and then the third type of person was someone who had hope that was big enough, something that was outside of their circumstance. Um, and Viktor Frankl was one of these people, obviously. He obviously hoped to see his family again, but thankfully that wasn't all he hoped in because he didn't. Um, he also longed to teach psychology again at the university, um, and he was able to. In fact, I think he became the head of neurology at the Vienna uni University. Um, but in his book, he quotes um, Friedrich Nietzsche, who is just some big thinker fella from a long time ago, and he says, I got this, nailed it, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Um, so hope is our why. Um, in good times, it's just something to look forward to, um, and then in the hard times, it's what we literally have to hold on to to get us through. Um, and so Frankel himself, in his own words, he says, no matter how difficult things get, you still have the power to choose, to be something better, something smarter, and something purer, serving as a beacon of light. Um, what I like about that quote, apart from the fact that it's just kind of cool, is that it's not some psychologist who's just assessed the brain and said this thing. He lived through that horror and then he could say that after surviving it. Um, just a bit more power than me trying to help Dave out. But <laughs> um, he has that authority, I guess, to make a claim that bold. Um, so to bring it back to the Bible, because it is a Sunday morning after all, um, Paul, who suffered a great deal, he obviously got a bit of hate put his way, and I think he survived a stoning, and he was spent however long in all those prisons, which... Ancient prisons weren't real fun. Uh oh, nailed it. Hey, perfect, stop there. Got it. Great teamwork. Um, so he says this in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So even though going through the horrid stuff, what we've got at the other end is worth it. Um, and that is one thing that's definitely easier said than done, but um, but it's a truth nonetheless. And the author of Hebrews, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, um, that's us in glory with him and the Father. That's the joy that was set before him. That was the why that Jesus had. We were Jesus' why. Um, and we have victory in Christ. Um, so for the joy set before us, we can get through whatever we have to face today. <clears throat> um, but as we all know, we're in that second dump of snow, winter's last grasp. Um, so life has its struggles, and different people, it's different things, and, and different times of life, it's different things even. Um, but unfortunately, our society is made this particular season leading into Christmas sort of that on roids. Um, just all the things that were already an issue kind of just get put the microscope on them and, and just, yeah, it's just a large cause of anxiety and hopelessness. And 
it is the opposite of what this season should be, really. Um, <coughs> we need to remember that this season is the inauguration of God's promise to Adam and Eve way back in the garden, right, when they stuffed it up and ruined it for all of us. <laughs> uh, and he promised that it wouldn't stay that way. And um, over and over and over in the Old Testament, Israel's promising the coming Messiah, the rescuing king who's going to save them. Um, and for centuries, Israel's waiting for this, um, you know, through slavery and oppression and exile, waiting for these for these promises to come true. And this season that we celebrate is the start of this, this promise coming true. Um, we have a why that is big enough to get through uh, whatever it is. God, the creator of the universe, became flesh um, to be a beacon of hope to the world, revealing the love of the eternal Father. So there is no how big enough to overcome the why that we have in Emmanuel. Um, I love how the storybook Bible puts it. Um, so if you're going to get the Sunday school teacher up, this is the Bible I'm going to read to you from. Um, so it's just, uh, I'll pick up from just after um, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. There you go. <clears throat> so yes, they've just been kicked out. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, Deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him, always, and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It would not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And one day, he would. One day God himself would come. He loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And he has come to rescue you. Um, in John, Jesus says, When a woman is in labor, she is in pain, because her hour has come. But when the child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. So where to from here? Were you like me at the story, or were you kind of like Dave? Um, if you were like me, can I encourage you... Um, to let your circumstances be a beacon of hope to the Daves that might be around you. Um, there's a really cool uh, song by Tom Walker, not a Christian, but never mind. Um, Tom Walker, the song is either I will leave a light on or leave a light on, something like that, you'll find it. And the chorus says, if you look into the distance, there's a house upon the hill 
guiding like a lighthouse. It's a place where you'll be safe to feel our grace because we've all made mistakes. If you've lost your way, I will leave a light on. Um, so let's be that light because um, there are Daves out there who need it. Um, and if you're here this morning and you are more in Dave's situation than mine, um, if you're feeling defeated or lost or lonely, stressed, anxious, or even just far away from God, hold on. Cover. God could not have gone further than he has to rescue you. He is a why that is big enough. So hold on, because he's holding you. So Amy's going to get a song ready for me. Um, just going to close with this song. It's from the fray. It's called Be Still. You may have heard it before. Um, nailed it. How good. Don't even need the clicker. Um, so I was going to sing it for you, um, but Nick told me I wasn't allowed to because we're trying to build up hope this morning, not tear it down. But <laughs> no, that's a joke. I got Spotify. It's good. Uh, <laughs> so um, I have always loved the song, and I don't really know why, because like I said at the start, I haven't really had to you know, grind through something horrific, but the song always just is like, Bleh. it's really cool. So the words are there. If you want to read along, sweet as. Um, if you want to close your eyes and listen, sweet as. This is not a song that we sing to God to praise him. This is the song that God is singing to you. So receive it. Because this is our loving Father speaking to your heart. So, thank you. Oh, wow. That was beautiful. Um, why don't we just give Alex another round of applause? That was so beautiful. I uh, just appreciate him pouring out his heart and just how important hope is. Eh? Right, we all need it. And no matter what circumstance you might be in, you're the one giving hope or the one who needs it, how important it is for our lives. So, yeah, thank you, Alex, and thank you, God, for giving us that hope.